Hey, good morning, Campbell. How's everybody doing this morning? Good. Hey, if this is your first time to be with us, first time guest, thank you so much for joining us today. It is uh, great to have you with us. I'd like to encourage you to stick around after our service inside of the Welcome Center. You'll find coffee and hot tea and just a chance for us to get to know you a little bit. Welcome to those of you who are watching online. We're so glad that you've joined us this morning as well. Uh, this past week, Ruth ordered some new t-shirts for us, t-shirts that will be available to everybody at some point. And she said, please, everybody, wear your t-shirt, wear black jeans. We're going to get photos, and we just want to make sure everybody can see those t-shirts really well. And I look around this morning, and everybody's wearing a jacket over their new t-shirt. And I'm freezing, and I thought, there's no way I'm going up there on stage without a jacket on. When you don't have insulation on top, you get cold really, really quick. And so, Ruth, I'm sorry. I'm keeping it on for right now. We might get rid of it in a moment. Hey, on high school fields across America, the same scene plays out just about every week uh, during the season. On both sides of the field, arms shoot straight up in the air with four fingers held high, as soon as the clock strikes zero on the third quarter. Now, why is it that coaches and players all do this? Well, when those four fingers go straight up in the air, it's a reminder that, hey, everything that we've talked about, everything that we've dreamed about, everything that we've sacrificed for during the week, it's going to be determined in the next 15 minutes. And so there's no longer time to take a playoff, and there's no longer time to get distracted by the cute cheerleader who's doing backflips down the sideline. Maximum focus, maximum energy is required right now because the next time the, strike clocks, uh, the clock strikes zero, it will stay zero, game over. Now, in many ways, this is what the Apostle Peter does for those Christians who are living in Asia Minor in chapter 4 of 1 Peter. He wants to remind them it's crunch time, that you now are living in the fourth quarter. And so he writes these words in chapter 4 and verse 7, the end of all things is near. It's near. Now, whether or not those believers took his words seriously, I, I don't know. I don't have any way of knowing. But this I do know, that there are very few of us, self-included, who take Peter's words seriously. Unless you've had a serious health scare or a near-death experience, it is a common belief that there's plenty of time ahead, right? I mean, most of us kind of live with this idea that I've got a lot of days ahead of me, a lot of years ahead of me, and hopefully that's true. Hopefully that's dead on, that you've got a lot of time ahead of you. But this truth still remains, each and every one of us are living in the fourth quarter of God's restoration plan. Let me just remind you how this kind of all played out. The first part of God's plan was to raise up a people, a nation, who would be a blessing to the entire world. That was Israel done. The second part of God's restoration plan was then to send prophets into the world, and they were to deliver this, this message that eventually a Messiah is coming. Done. Third part of his plan was to send his son, Jesus Christ, the Messiah, into the world to secure victory for us over sin and death in the evil one through his sacrificial death on the cross and his resurrection. Praise God. Done. As we sung this morning, we now live in freedom, right? Fourth 
part of his plan is all that we're waiting for, and that is for Jesus Christ to come again. It's crunch time. We're living in the fourth quarter. And when Jesus Christ comes again, he's going to usher in a new heavens and a new earth for everyone of faith to live in, to dwell in, and enjoy his presence. That's coming. It's coming soon. It's coming quickly. And so for us, maximum effort, maximum focus is required. We need to live. We need to share the life that God has called us to live. And so in 1 Peter chapter 4, and verse 7, 11, 7 through 11, Peter says, I want to tell you some priorities that you really need to focus on during the last days, the fourth quarter of your life. And he starts with this particular priority. He says, you need to make prayer a priority. He says in verse 7, the end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and sober-minded so that you can pray. I have no doubt that when Peter wrote those words, his mind flashed back to a moment when he was asked to pray. It was in the fourth quarter of Jesus' life. And unfortunately, as you recall, he just kind of dropped the ball. This event in Peter's life is recorded for us in several places, but one is Mark chapter 14 and verse 32 through 41. They went to a place called Gethsemane. And Jesus said to his disciples, sit here while I pray. He took Peter, James, and John along with him, and he began to be deeply distressed and troubled. My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death, he said to them. Stay here and keep watch. And going a little further, he fell to the ground and prayed that if possible, the hour might pass from him. Abba, Father, he said, everything is possible for you. Take this cup from me. Yet, yet not what I will, but what you will. And then he returned to his disciples and found them sleeping. And Simon, he said to Peter, are you sleeping? Couldn't you keep watch for one hour? Watch and pray so that you will not fall into temptation. The spirit is willing, but the flesh is weak. Once more, he went away and prayed the same thing. When he came back, he again found them sleeping because their eyes were heavy. They did not know what to say to him. Returning the third time, he said to them, Are you still sleeping and resting? Enough. The hour has come. Look, the Son of Man is delivered into the hands of sinners. Now, not wanting his audience to make the same mistake that he had made, he says, Stay alert. Be sober-minded. In other words, it's absolutely critical that you understand the seriousness of the times that you're living in. It's not a time to be overwhelmed by fear. It's not a time to be distracted by other matters. Now is the time for focus and consecrated and direct thoughtful communication with God. Prayer was to be serious business. And if that was true for them, how much more so for us? Because... The end is closer than it has ever been before. And so here's the question. Is thoughtful, direct, serious prayer a regular part of your routine? Are you caught up in less serious matters? For all of us who tend to wane in our commitment to prayer, this is a serious call back to spend time on our knees. The thoughtful concentrated prayer should be a regular part of our schedule. 
Now say, so what exactly should we pray about? Well, everything, right? Well, yeah, we pray about everything, but knowing this is the fourth quarter, it kind of should, should set our, prior, our prayer priorities, right? It's, let me explain to you. You've spent a lot of time probably this past week praying for Aunt Helen's bout with gout to clear up. And you've begged God for that promotion at work. And those are all good things to pray about. But let me ask you this question. If the clock strikes zero tomorrow, will either of those things really matter? Not so much. Aunt Helen will have nude feet to dance on in heaven. And you'll have far more important work to do there than you do right here. So what does matter? Here's what matters. It matters whether or not your next-door neighbor, John, ever comes to faith in Jesus Christ. What matters is whether or not your sister in Christ, Sally, ever gets over her unforgiving spirit. What matters is whether or not you ever break free from that sin that has a grip on your life. Here's what I'm saying. I'm saying pray about everything. But at the same time, make it a priority to pray about those things in life that are actually going to have significance in the next. That that's what we want to make our priority first and foremost. Now, the next priority that Peter mentions, he says, this one really ought to take precedence in so many ways. He says in verse 8, above all, above all, this one, put it right there at the top, above all, love each other deeply. Loving one another is to be priority one. This is kind of it. And the word that Peter uses to translated love is the word agape, and that really puts the focus on action rather than just feelings. And I have no doubt that this was a strategic word choice for Peter because I, I find it hard to imagine that the disciples in Asia Minor were finding it that they were in a loving mood towards other people. I mean, just think about it for a moment when you are on, under constant stress and threats, there's a tendency to feel frustration and annoyance towards other people rather than love, right? I mean, that's kind of just the emotional state you're in. And so I think it's strategic, he's calling them, that I want you to work really hard at this. I want you to give maximum effort and focus towards this, that you will love other people, love each other in the church family and outside of the church family. And I think this is an important word for most of us today as well, because the truth is there are times that I don't feel very loving towards other people. How about you? We're tired, we're stressed, we're anxious, and there's a lot going on, and we kind of run at that level of frustration and annoyance at times, and yet that is no excuse not to act in a loving way towards other people. But what that word agape really calls us to is that we act our way into a feeling rather than allowing our feelings to dictate our actions. And too, too often we get that in reverse, don't we? We don't feel loving, so we don't act in a very loving way. And we get in a loving mood, feeling it, and then we do a little bit better. And he says, no, no, no. He says, you start with the action. You move towards it. You work hard at it. And, and you concentrate on that. And eventually, that'll kind of turn around, and, and you'll feel more loving towards others. 
And so as we encounter people and we encounter each other, the question on our mind ought to be, how can I really, how can I act in a loving way towards the person who's standing before me? What is it that they need in their life that I can perhaps meet, even if I don't really feel like it? You see, this is the way that we're to behave all the times. We're to love one another whether it fits in our schedule or it doesn't, whether it's easy or it's not, whether it's fun or anything but. And notice in the text that Peter points to a very specific way that love expresses itself. He goes on to say in verse 8, above all, love each other deeply because love covers over a multitude of sins. What is Peter saying exactly? Is he suggesting that if we love one another, we'll just kind of sweep sin and wrongdoing under the carpet? No, he's not saying that, is he? He's, he's not saying that you should just let people do whatever they want, not be held accountable for their wrongdoings. He's saying that love is choosing to forgive. And Peter observed Jesus, the man who was the most loving person who ever walked the face of the earth. And he knew that Jesus didn't turn a blind eye towards mistreatment and injustice and sin. That holding people accountable for what they did was oftentimes the most loving action that could possibly take place. But at the same time, he understood this. That addressing that uh, the absence of grace and confronting sin is often more than, a little more than self-righteousness or retaliation in disguise. And so he calls us to make the decision to be people who forgive. He calls us to offer grace to others. And so what does it look like to offer that grace when I've been wronged? Well, grace is choosing to address the situation, the sin, the hurt in private rather than airing it out in public. And sin is, our grace is making the decision that I am going to choose to forgive rather than holding it over another person's head forever. Grace is making the decision that I'm going to fight hard to stay in this relationship than rather just walking away from it. Now, are there times to walk away from a relationship? Well, yes, there are those times in life, but they often, they don't come as quickly as we want them to come at times when we decide we're going to love at full stretch. We're going to work hard at this. Grace is patiently putting up with other people's quirks and failures rather than confronting every little annoyance and slight. And when we choose to live this way, it makes an impact. One contemporary scholar put it like this, in this way, when you choose to patiently kind of just be with people, by simply ignoring the unkind act or the insulting word, he brings the evil thing to an end. It dies and leaves no seed. Don't you love that? He said, if you'll show grace in this way and love in this way, and you don't feel like you have to confront everything, and you'll, you'll just kind of deal with people where they're at, it ends a lot sooner a lot of times than when you actually make a big deal out of everything. And he goes on to say, there's another expression of love that should be evident in our lives, and that is that we should be people who practice hospitality. He says in verse 9, offer hospitality to one another. In the first century world of Peter, Peter this required a whole lot more than having your friends over to your house for a burger. 
Uh, those in the first century world of Peter were often asked to open up their homes for a church service. They didn't have a, a nice facility to all come to and walk into and then just leave and let everybody else kind of figure out what to do with it. They'd say, no, 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 we, we got to meet in somebody's house. And so they'd say, can we, can we meet in your house? Would you host? And they'd say, yes. And oftentimes what was required of those who would host a church service was actually to prepare an entire meal. And they were expected to house itinerant preachers who would come through and, and preach the Word of God, and even traveling members of the church who would be passing through. And they were even expected to put up lodging for Christians who had been picked out of their home for following Jesus Christ. And hospitality was tiring, and it was trying, and it was expensive. And yet it's clear from the text that Peter says, like, this is kind of an expectation of everyone who's a follower of Jesus Christ, and it's really important as you live in these last days and in the fourth quarter that you are people who love in such a way that you show hospitality to others. And there's no reason that I can find from the text that the expectation has changed. This still is an expectation for us as followers of Jesus. And having friends into your home, it's a really good place to start. But I believe that we're called to so much more. The word hospitality in the original language, it actually means a love for strangers. A love for strangers. Hospitality is the practice of using your home to minister to those people you know and to people that you don't know. And I don't need to tell you this, but hospitality, it's not easy work. It can call you to suffer. You have to dust and you have to vacuum and you have to clean toilets for people, some you know and some you don't, some who have unruly kids, some who don't seem to know how to use a coaster, who leave your house a bigger mess after they leave than when they arrived. It's enough to make you want to scream and it's enough to make you want to gripe, and yet Peter reminds us, I want you to practice this with the best possible spirit that you can find. He says, offer hospitality to one another. How? Without grumbling. No grumbling about it. And I'm going to tell you this morning, we need more people to step up their hospitality game. Now, hear me out. We need more people to open up their homes to host uh, home groups. Right now, we just don't have many. As a matter of fact, we've got some women's groups and we've got some men's groups, but when it comes to whole family groups, I think we've got one right now. We need more because God's blessing us with new people who are coming into this place, and we want to make sure that they have a smaller group of people that they can connect to and they can spend time with and be a part of community. And we need people who will have fringe members and new members into their home for coffee and dessert. And we need people who will take visitors or guests out to lunch after services. We need hospitable people. And right now you're thinking perhaps, well, my home's not very big and it lacks decoration and I'm not a very good cook. And even if I was, we couldn't really afford it. And I want to encourage you to stop. Those are all excuses that the evil one is putting into your mind to keep you from doing the real work that needs to be done during the fourth quarter of the life that you're living. Because the bottom line is none of those things that I've just mentioned really matter. 
It doesn't matter what your house looks like or how many decorations you have. It doesn't matter if you're a good cook or not. And you don't have to have much. What matters is the love and the warmth and the acceptance that people experience when they're invited into somebody's life and into their home. I love the way that Karen Maines explains the difference between entertaining and hospitality, especially when it comes to the motivation behind the two. She writes, entertaining says, I want to impress you with my home, my clever decorating, my gourmet cooking. Hospitality, seeking to minister, says, this home is a gift from my master. I use it as he desires. Hospitality aims to serve. Entertainment subtly, subtly declares, this home is mine. It's an expression of my personality. Look, please admire. Hospitality whispers, what's mine is yours. Entertainment looks for a payment, and the payment is these words, my, isn't she a remarkable hostess? That's not hospitality. With no thought of reward, hospitality takes pleasure in giving, doing, loving, and serving. The model for entertaining is those slick women's magazines with their alluring pictures of foods and rooms. The model for hospitality is the Word of God. Christ sanctifies our simple fare and makes it holy and useful. Now, Peter gives one other expression, practical expression of love. In the fourth quarter, he says this, you need to be all about using the gifts and the abilities that you've been blessed with by, uh, from God, and you need to use those to bless other people. He goes on to say in verse 10, each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. A man by the name of Les Gleaves was the involvement minister for the Waterview Church of Christ in the Dallas-Fort Worth area for a number of years. Les, he told a story that I'll never forget one time as he was doing a workshop for us. Uh, he said that on a Wednesday night, back in the days when you had Wednesday night services, uh, one of their members came to him and he said, Les, I really want to get more involved in the work of the church. I want to be involved. And Les, Les said for the life of him, he couldn't think of a single ministry that this guy could really plug into. And so he said to the man, I'll tell you what, he said, let me, let me think about it for a week and you come back and you talk to me next week and let's see what we can come up with. And Les confessed, he said, deep down what I was hoping is that he would just forget about it. We wouldn't have to have that conversation. But sure enough, the next Wednesday night, this guy walks up to Les, Les and he says, hey, I, I want to have that conversation. What can I get involved in here at church? And Les said he still didn't have a response for the gentleman, and so he said, you know what, I didn't have a lot of time to think about it this week, and so why don't you find me next week, and we'll talk about it next week. And this time it worked, because the guy never came back to Les again to ask how he could get involved. A number of years passed by, and this gentleman passed away, and Les is driving to his memorial service, and he's thinking in his mind, oh, goodness, he's been a fringe member. His service is probably going to be really small. There won't be many people there, and he's kind of feeling sad in his heart, and he walks into the auditorium, and it is packed. I mean, there are people who are wealthy, and there are homeless people there, and people in between. And there are 
old people there and there are young people there and people in between. And there are black people there and there are white people there and people of all shades of color in between. And Wes, Les is absolutely mystified. And then he discovers this as he's listening to the memorial. That for the past several years, this man had simply been making homemade cards and writing notes of encouragement and sending them to anybody that he encountered that needed to hear a good word. And those people were so moved by the impact and the effort that he had gone to that they felt like they had to be there to honor his life. I love that story. I love that story because it's a reminder that you don't have to wait for anybody to tap you on the shoulder and say, will you come be a part of my ministry? You don't have to wait to find the perfect ministry that you think you would fit into that's already existing here at this church. God has shaped you. God has wired you. God has given you a personality. God has given you talents. And it's just a matter of you saying, here's what God's blessed me with, and here's how I want to use it to serve and meet the needs of other people. And for that particular man, he said, you know what? I can do art, and I can encourage, and I don't have to wait on anybody else to tell me to go after it. I'm going to do it right now. And it made a huge impact on people's lives. And the same can be true for you because you've got a gift. Every believer has a gift. Every baptized believer has a gift or gifts. And God expects you to steward those gifts well. He does. And not just for your own benefit and not just for the benefit of your family. He expects them to be used for this entire body, this church family. Rick Warren puts it like this. He said, God gave you a gift, not for you, but for me. And God gave me a gift, and not for me, but for you. And if you don't use your gift, you're robbing me. And if I don't use my gift, I'm robbing you. We need you to use your gift to help us be better. And so many of you are, and I am so thankful for that. And what a, what a treat it was to see Kaya using her gift of cooking at Trunk or Treat to serve our guests crepes. And to see Susan and Aubrey using their gift of working with animals to provide a petting zoo for all those kids that came through because they've got that gift. I love it on Sunday mornings when I hear about Adam Walsh using his gift of teaching to go help in children's worship and doing such a great job of just entertaining those kids and expressing the love of Jesus to them. I'm thankful to hear about a person like Diane Robinson who has the gift of organization and leadership, and she says, I'll, I'll host a women's event, and we'll get people together, and we'll have a great time. You know what? I could go on and on and on this morning talking about so many of you who are using your gift in such a wonderful way, and we're better for it. But for those of you who aren't yet, it's crunch time. It's fourth quarter. We need you to use your gift. Use your gift to bless the lives of other people. And I want to mention one specific ministry that I think so many of you are gifted and you could be a part of. How many of you have the gift of being able to smile? Any, anybody? A few people? Some of you are trying to hold it back. You're nervous about what I might sign you up for, right? But you're smiling now, so you all can do it, right? How many of you have the gift of being able to say, hello, my name is, and introduce yourself to somebody? 
Yeah, you knew that too, right. How many of you have the gift of being a friend? You do, you all do. How many of you have the gift of knowing how to read? You do. Guess what? You're perfect for this ministry. It's called Friendspeak. And I'm really excited because I believe the anticipation is Friendspeak's going to move from being online to being in person. And Friendspeak simply is teaching people how to improve their English by reading the Bible. Do you realize we have, yes, you realize this, I don't need to tell you this, there's so many people from so many different places in the world that are right here around us, and they're moving in all the time. And what do they need? They need a warm smile. They need somebody to introduce themselves to them. They need a friend to help them figure out how life works in this area. They need somebody to help them improve their English skills. And what we hope is that they may not realize it, but they need to know Jesus. So we want to read the Bible with people. I know of a church that's not much larger than us. I think they're barely over 200 or so on regular attendance. I've been told that when you walk in their gym on a Wednesday night, you'll find over a hundred people teaching English using the Bible with people in their community who are in that particular situation. That's fourth quarter work. That's the stuff that matters. That's the stuff that's going to last. And so I want you to think about it and pray about it. And as more details become known to us uh, through Ming and through Evelyn, we'll share those with you. You may say, you know, it's still not for me. And that's okay. That's okay. It may not be for you. But I think it's for more of you than you realize. And so I want to ask you to pray about it. And then Peter closes this section by reminding us of a very reassuring truth. He says this in verse 11. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. And if anyone serves, they should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. When we choose to use our gifts, be it speaking gifts or serving gifts, God provides for us what we need to make an impact. Whether we realize it or not, whether we see it or not, there is good being done. Why? Because it all goes to the praise and the glory of God. And that's what we're to be about. We are to be a people who live our lives, especially in these last days in the fourth quarter, in such a way that it brings praise and honor and glory to God. So join me this morning. You just raise your hand, your arm, and hold up four fingers. You're living in the fourth quarter. My question is, what are you going to do when you walk out of this place this morning? Will you make a decision to spend more time in prayer? Will you make a decision to forgive somebody that you need to forgive? Will you make a decision to open up your home for a home group or just to have somebody into your home that needs a word of encouragement? Will you use your gifts and talents in ministry to other people so that Jesus Christ receives the glory? Please do something, for it is true. The end of all things is near. May God bless us as we strive to bring him honor, praise, and glory. 